Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hi molly my name is jess i'm 27 i just finished your um or i'm almost done with your splitting cure episode uh, it's i have already started my thought log i just wanted to let you know that i am excited to get my feelings hurt and I expect they will be hurt with my thought log. Um, but I'm really grateful to the episode. And I'm at the stage in my life where I am starting to notice um, how my behaviors affect others and um, like taking responsibility for things, which is really awesome and also can be really overwhelming. So, um, but there is hope. And uh, yeah. And part of that is just, honestly, is it is really grounding to listen to your um, podcast to me um, when I feel emotional dysregulation and um, stress. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that. And thank you for the idea and your well-thought-out ideas and research on this because um, I'm definitely going to be doing it. We'll see where I'm at in two weeks. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Jess. I love this voicemail. I'm so glad to hear that you enjoyed the splitting series. I loved how you said you're excited to get your feelings hurt because I absolutely know how that is. Sometimes we do have to hurt our own feelings a little bit, understand some of the stuff that we've been doing that's been keeping us stuck and having compassion for ourselves the entire time, right? Because we didn't know what we didn't know. Welcome to Back from the Borderline, everyone. Emotional alchemy in your pocket. I have got a lot of listener voicemails to tackle. And so I thought, what better way for us to take the next few episodes to listen to some voicemails from listeners and me to reflect, give some advice with a big reminder that, of course, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I am just another person traveling this recovery journey alongside of you who dedicates a lot of my time to studying emotions, the human personality, depth psychology, and 
all of that fun stuff, esotericism, occultism. I'm into all of it. I want to know everything and I want to know what we can take from these different parts of these different fields and apply it to becoming a more, I have grounded and integrated version of ourselves. So let's just cuddle in and get ready for a fun big sister style chat. That's how I like to position myself when I listen to listener voicemails and give my reflections. I don't even like calling it advice because I'm never going to tell you what to do because I've only heard one minute and 30 seconds of these voicemails. I don't know these people personally. I don't know the full context of the situation. And even if I did, I don't think it's appropriate to tell people what to do. Hence why most therapists don't even tell you what to do. That's why therapists are known for that cheesy statement of like, how do you feel about that? Right? That's a stereotype. Technically, that's a really good tactic too, because therapists try to get you to see the solutions in your own life because these things should arise from ourselves. So when I listen to these voicemails, I try to share reflections from my own perspective, uh, things that have happened to me, people that I know and love and things that I've heard in the readings that I've done. And then the people whose voicemails these are, they can take that information, take what resonates, leave the rest. If this applies to you, great. I have a feeling that many of you are going to relate to so much of what these listeners are struggling with. Today's voicemails are all in the same theme and it's around diagnosis, confusion about how to disclose diagnosis with people that we love, how to differentiate what is truly your behavior and what is disordered behavior. These questions are so common. I get them so often from my listeners. And so I'm excited to be able to take some time to reflect on them with you together. So let's go ahead and take our first voicemail from Bella. Hi, Molly. My name's Bella. I'm 19 and I'm calling in from Australia. I've been listening to the podcast since last December and it's really pulled me out of a lot of dark days and really helped me and I'm really forever grateful. So thank you so much. Um, I just wanted to hear your point of view of dealing with being open with BPD. I feel like I really struggle being open with like the closest people in my life about my struggles with BPD. But every time I have been open, I feel great. And then I feel this really intense regret afterwards. Like I feel like I've given them this huge weapon to use against me to, you know, psychoanalyze everything I do and say. And I'm like so scared to do that because I find myself, you know, I regret it. And then I pull away and then I manage to convince myself that all my friends have left me because they hate me and they think I'm crazy because I've told them this. And I just, yeah, I haven't told so many people and I don't know if I owe it to the close people in my life. I feel like I do, but I'm just so scared and I don't know how to overcome it. I just feel like so alone still in my diagnosis. And yeah, I'd really like to hear your point of view, but thank you again. Thank you so much for your voicemail, Bella. And it means the world that the podcast has been helpful for you. So First and foremost, you said you're 19. I just want to give you such a huge virtual big sister hug and want to say how proud I am of you of being this self-aware and prioritizing your mental health at your age. When I was 19, I was in the lowest point of my life. I was so far from having a shred of self-awareness and I was really struggling. And I want to validate to anyone out there who is Bella's age, it's a really hard time. It's so hard to be an adolescent, especially right now. And just know, even though I know it sounds so overdone and cliche, but 
you have so much growing to do. I promise you as I'm someone in her thirties now, I remember when people, when I was 19 and like people in their thirties and forties would tell me like, just wait until you're a bit older. Like you get, you get better with age. I just wouldn't believe them, but I really do believe that especially if you pursue a recovery path, find a sense of groundedness in a a bigger, something bigger than you. And you really just start working on figuring out what is in your own integrity, living life on your own terms, free from the programming of society and your family of origin. You really do start coming into your own and things don't feel so extreme and painful as they do at your age. And I think right now we're in a culture where we're hyper analyzing everything so much. And while there is an amazing benefit that comes from being hyper connected and have access to all the information in the world at our fingertips, there's also some drawback because I feel like sometimes young people right now with all these lists of symptoms of various disorders, it could be this almost neurotic quest of like, what's wrong with me? What do I have? And I talked about this on a premium episode of the podcast a while back, but I have a tendency towards being really OCD about looking into things. And while that can be a superpower of mine, I've used it as a superpower to make this podcast. It can also be to my detriment because if I look up any major mental health disorder, I can probably find myself identifying with quite a few of the symptoms at various stages of my life. And it's interesting because in different stages of my life, I showed signs of various different disorders. And the more people I talk to, the more professionals I've interviewed, the more deep I get into depth psychology and spiritual wisdom and all of these things, we are dynamic, transformative beings. And you're going to go through so many different phases in your life. You're going to struggle with different things at different points of your spiritual, emotional, and mental maturity and expect that throughout your life. So even if things seem horrible right now, they're not always going to be this horrible. I find it really helpful to put my answers and stuff through the framework of the stage of life that people are in because where we're at and our age really does impact a lot of how we think, what we are afraid of, what is most important, like how much I cared at that age about what people thought about me and how many fickle relationships I had at that age. Now that brings me to your question here. You struggling about whether or not you should be open and disclose this diagnosis of yours to the people that are closest to you. If I think about all the people that I let into my intimate circle when I was in my late adolescence and early 20s, there were so many other hurting, traumatized people who were unconscious of their behaviors that I gave way too much of myself to. I opened up way too soon. I gave them more information about my inner life than I probably should have. So I say all of this to say, Bella, that some of the people that you consider to be your closest friends in the world right now, you're going to be my age when you're in your mid thirties and you're not going to speak to these people anymore. And that might feel kind of sad right now. And it is sad, but I really believe that old saying that goes, people are in our life for either a season, a reason, or a lifetime. And sometimes people are just seasonal. We learn together, we grow together, and then they move out of our life. Sometimes we, they are a lesson, right? <laughs> sometimes we open up to someone way too soon and they do weaponize our disclosures and it comes around and bites us in the ass. <laughs> and you talk about how many times when you're open about your struggles with your diagnosis, you feel this intense regret afterwards. And it's almost like you've given people a weapon to use. And you didn't mention this in your voicemail, 
but I wonder if that's happened to you up until this point. Now, people that are true advocates for us, who know who we are at our core, who love us for us, who have made it into our circle of trust, and they've been there a really long time, they've proven to be there for us through the thick and the thin. We know that they are on their own healing path themselves and that they have level deep levels of self-awareness. Very few of us actually take the time to vet, not test, but just really take time to develop intimacy with people before we force intimacy and overshare. And oversharing and forcing intimacy are things that I deeply struggle with still, but I really struggled with intensely in my teens and 20s. And I've heard before that oversharing and trauma dumping and all these things, telling someone a lot of intimate things about you, forcing intimacy before you've actually had a chance to learn who a person really is, is something that a lot of us who struggle with various disorder, dysfunction labels or trauma or complex trauma, any of these things, it's very common for us to do because we want people to be close to us. We want to tell them our deepest, darkest secrets because someone that you tell your secrets to is close to you, right? A lot of us though, set ourselves up for absolute devastation and recreating a lot of the hurt of our childhood by oversharing and confiding in people way too soon before they've proven to be trustworthy and worthy of our, our intimate inner circle as a friend or lover. And so I ask you to really think about, are you taking the time to really know and understand and watch and observe like a curious observer, like a scientist of how you develop intimacy with people? Do you slowly but surely over a period of time develop friendships or does it hit really fast and hard? You tell each other your deepest, darkest secrets right away and then you have this guilt and shame, right? That guilt and shame feeling is a way that your body tells you, at least in my experience, I'm not trying to say what's true for you, but I've learned in my experience going through what you described quite often, which was people using stuff that I told them against me. And I've done that to other people too, I think. I've I've taken people's secrets that they've told me in confidence and shared it with another new friend to try to speed up that intimacy, right? We never do this out of ill intent. It's all of us are just trying to forge intimacy really quick with each other. But what I've learned in my life is that I have to really ask myself, why am I sharing this in this moment? Am I trying to speed up intimacy? Am I going to feel regret later sharing this? Right? Really start thinking about that stuff. Now, you said that you don't know if you owe it to the closest people in your life to tell them about your diagnosis. That breaks my heart that you would feel like you owe it to people to say, you know, I have XYZ disorder. You don't owe anyone anything and you are free to tell your story in the way that you want to. I say this all the time in the podcast, but diagnoses are helpful in that they are really good maps. They can provide some early insights about ourselves. They can give us some helpful terminology sometimes to understand things like splitting or attachment or executive dysfunction. All of these concepts are super helpful in illuminating things that we might struggle with. But what I don't find helpful for myself was thinking about myself as someone with a disordered or dysfunctional personality. And we have to understand that people out there in the wild, they look up something like BPD and they see a bunch of stigmatized bullshit. They will come to their own polarized conclusions and then see you through that lens. Now, if someone is seeing you only through that lens, they might not be 
the trustworthy person worthy of your inner circle that you thought they were. And say for instance, right now you're going, oh my God, I've told everyone about my diagnosis and I'm recognizing that I overshared way too soon. That's okay. What's done is done. Be proud of who you are. Who you are is not a diagnostic label. Stand by your choices and let the chips fall where they may. You can't change the past. But moving forward, what you can do is be really precious about who you open up to, about your deepest struggles, and recognize that feeling of guilt or shame that you feel after talking about something as maybe an alert from your inner self telling you, hmm, maybe I'm trying to share this right now to force intimacy, or maybe this person isn't in my inner circle of trust and I don't want to talk about this right now. You are worthy and so deserving of love and acceptance. And there's nothing wrong with being 19 years old and struggling with reconciling all these emotions that are going on with you, struggling with putting some space between your big feelings and your reactions. And if you Describe that to someone, especially friends that you're making in your age group. Hey, I'm really working on putting some space between these big feelings and my reactions. So if you ever feel like I take something really personally or I cry out of nowhere, I have really big feelings and I love it about myself, but sometimes it can be a struggle for me. What are you working on right now about yourself? What are you struggling with? And if they're open and they are truly a person that you're trying to forge an intimate connection with, they'll likely share too. You don't have to disclose some diagnostic label because you feel that you owe it to them, that they need to be wary of you because you are some disordered, unstable person. And the very fact that you feel that way is likely a sign that you somewhere deep down inside feel I'm disordered. And people should be scared of me. I should come with a warning label. You don't. There's nothing wrong with you. You are growing up, waking up, cleaning up, and on your hero's journey, your healing journey, just like the rest of us. So cut yourself some slack. Our next voicemail is from Darian. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Molly. My name is Darian. I'm 25 years old from Illinois. Um, I am pretty sure I have BPD and that I have a very, very high level of executive dysfunction. And I guess especially being a man and the way I emphasize the reason I emphasize being a man is just because of how society has been with men and especially in our generations and how men have been raised. A lot of times it's to be the tough guy and not to show emotions and, you know, just take it on the chin. And, you know, growing up, I've always been more emotional for a guy. And, you know, I've always been told by, you know, friends or family, you know, quit being so sensitive, quit being emotional, you know what I'm saying? Um, and it's always been hard to show emotion and I've always felt these deep, deep emotions. And I guess my question is how do I tell my friends and family that I do have, you know, BPD 
and executive dysfunction. Because my biggest worries is that, you know, when it comes to executive dysfunction, you know, they treat me like a baby or like I can't do certain things or it comes to BPD, you know, my feelings aren't validated or they look at me like I'm a crazy person. You know, I see them saying things like, you know, this explains why you're acting that way because you have BPD and, you know, really like not validating my feelings, especially in the future. You know, if I have an emotion about something, I don't want them to be like, oh, he just has BPD. Don't mind him or something. You know, I'm very worried about how they see me. Thank you so much for this voicemail, Darian. I want to reach out and give you a huge, huge, huge virtual hug from your podcast, Big Sister. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. There is so fucking much to unpack in this voicemail. And I'm so excited to tackle every single part of it. So just like Bella, you're struggling with much of the same things, but it's so interesting to see this through two very different lenses, two completely different continents, but y'all are in the similar age group. Like I said, teens and 20s is brutal, okay? It's brutal. It's hard out here. So you started this voicemail off saying you're pretty sure that you have BPD. I just want to offer a reframe here. It's implied by your voicemail that you don't have a formal diagnosis. So I'm assuming that you just relate to the symptomology. And quite frankly, when we are going through the time of life that both of you are going through right now, who the fuck wouldn't identify with some of the symptoms of BPD? Huge emotional mood swings, huge feelings of what's the point, chronic emptiness, impulsivity. These are the hallmarks of just growing up. And it's so tempting to think of ourselves as disordered or dysfunctional when in reality, you're just growing up and figuring things out. And it also sounds like you are dealing with a really invalidating family. And when you when you're dealing with this kind of spiritual and emotional neglect at home, how on earth are you supposed to prioritize your well-being and your recovery? It's really, really hard. So I want to validate that. You said you struggle deeply with executive dysfunction. And that's like figuring out for those who are listening now, you know, it's like executive dysfunction is we can't do the thing, right? You know, you need to get something done, but you can't. Again, cut yourself some slack, you know? It's really, really hard to figure out how to do the thing if that hasn't been modeled for you. And what I'm hearing from you, Darian, is you are in a really invalidating family environment just based on what you've shared. I don't know. I only know what you've shared. And then I know for a fact you've been raised in a really fucked up society that labels men who are openly emotional as pussies, as little bitches, as crybabies. And then over here on our our side of the camp, Darian, is (laughs) as identifying as a woman, we get labeled crazy, hysterical, unbalanced, moody, right? So what is wrong with emotion? And I want to tell you, Darian, for what it's worth, there's nothing wrong with you. People around you are repressed, right? Quit being so sensitive. Quit being so emotional. You said that you hear a lot from your family and people around you. The reason why they tell you that is because your expressions of emotion, of being human, triggers a repressed part of them that they don't want to touch. They don't want to approach. So I encourage you to start opening your eyes to this. When you are emotional, and I'm talking about healthy displays of emotion, right? If we are, I can tell you myself, (laughs) lots of ways that I chose to express my feelings in my recovery journey have not been healthy. They've been harmful to other people. So I'm not advocating for that, but healthy displays of emotion, you know? And you know that you're a mature person 
when you've been shamed for just being normal and having feelings, please know that that is a reflection on the person who's being triggered by your very normal feelings and not on you. When you start making your way out into the world, you will find so many beautiful people. So many people that listen to this podcast, my Instagram, the community here, men who show their emotions and are open about their feelings is such a highly evolved, beautiful thing that should be spoken about so much more. And I'm so proud of you for being a listener of this podcast at 23 years old in the Midwest of the United States, fighting against all of the society, your family. You know what you're battling against, Darian? And you're saying, no, I'm going to listen to this podcast. I'm going to find my people, the people who don't treat me like I'm a crazy person for just having feelings. I want to tell you, and Bella, and anyone else who's listening to this podcast that identifies with either one of you, I want you to know that diagnoses are maps, but they can also be weapons in the hands of people who are ignorant, ill-informed, or repressed themselves. I wouldn't put weapons in the hands of those irresponsible people. It's very, very simple. If you're living in a place that it's very common for people to not be very well aware about mental health or who have critical thinking skills and the ability to really unpack and sit with complex feelings, definitely don't be talking about disorder or dysfunction labels with these people or telling them that you think that you might have something because you're going to get responses like Darian got from his family, which is, ah, it all makes sense now, right? You have BPD. It all makes sense. But these people, not only have you given them a weapon to use, to use to scapegoat you and further alienate you, but you've also given them a, a way to sort of like dismiss you and your, and your feelings. So I highly recommend that you take the approach that I advised for Bella which is if you choose to be open with people, say what you really believe, which is you are on a journey to better understand yourself. You'd like to learn how to embrace your feelings and use them as power instead of letting them have power over you. You are learning to be a true warrior. Darian, a true warrior back in the middle ages, like a knight, right? Some of these men were so beautiful and creative. They would write songs and poetry and then go out onto the battlefield with like a song in their heart, right? There was such, there was emotion, deep emotion there. Something weird's going on right now in society, especially with just the heterosexual cis male situation where they're the emotion, the poetry is gone and it's seen as weak when not so long ago in our history was actually seen as a beautiful part of masculinity. So I encourage you to look into stories of old, look into historical nights. I found so much just deep and profound healing in these stories. I love the story of Joan of Arc. I love Boudica, she is a a warrior woman, a Celtic woman, historical figure. Just look into the history and see people that embraced these deep existential feelings they had and turned it into power. Right now we're living in this really weird, repressed time, but it's changing, Darian. And your family is out here. We're all here. You're back from the borderline family is here. And you don't always have to stay trapped there in the Midwest. You can make a plan to maybe find a place where you feel like it's more acceptable to be who you are. And also take this fuel that you feel. And I hope one day to see your voice out there for other young men like you who are feeling just like you are. How can you take this and help other people are going through what you're going through? 
Your feelings are beautiful, Darian. You don't need a label or a diagnosis to validate any of that. Sure, if you want to seek that, that's totally up to you. But there's nothing wrong with you. You're growing up. You are in a really repressed and invalidated environment. And these feelings that you're having are symptoms as saviors, I like to say. Sometimes when we're feeling this, you're feeling so disconnected from these people. You don't feel safe. You can be yourself around them because they are a direct threat to you living in your integrity. So know that. Share with them what they need to know, but don't give them weapons when they're still stuck in this repressed and ignorant part. And really try to have compassion for where they're at right now. Hope for them to have their awakening epiphany one day where maybe they can start unblocking some of these constipated emotions and live your truth. Don't expect your family to change. Things are really, really deeply ingrained, this kind of stuff. And if they're going to wake up, they're going to wake up on their own time. The best thing you could do, if I could go back 10 years where you are now and give my younger self advice, I would say, just wish your family the best. Tell them only what feels safe to tell them. Don't expect them to understand you. Expect your healing journey to trigger the shit out of them. Expect them to push back when you start to change or set boundaries or embrace your, your true self. That's just their shit coming up projected onto you. Don't let it sink in. Wish them well. Try to have compassion and love in your heart for them as you would for a young child who doesn't know better and move forward and do whatever it takes to protect this small voice inside of you that says there should be more. I'm, there's nothing wrong with me. It's beautiful and honorable that you have big feelings and that you're deeply connected to them and that you're not going to let that repression turn you into an angry, bitter male stereotype, quite frankly. So huge hug from big sister Molly all the way to Illinois to you, Darian. So we're going to take one last voicemail from Natalie. Hey, Molly. My name's Natalie. I'm from Arizona. When it comes to identifying with traits of borderline and being in a relationship, a newer relationship, um, we're, I'm at about the five-month mark with my current girlfriend, and I feel like I have a hard time delegating. And I'm not sure if delegating is the right word, but I'm going to say delegating the blame in situations because I am so self-aware of my BPD traits that I identify with that I have a hard time. I have a hard time understanding that just because I identify with traits of borderline personality disorder doesn't mean that every conflict is my fault, if that makes sense, or that every conflict stems from the fact that I have, that I identify with these traits. Does that make sense? Because I find myself over apologizing and then getting confused. Oh my God, I'm running out of time. Getting confused. <laughs> that fucking voicemail time limit gets me every time. I've said this before. There's no way I'd be able to articulate anything in one minute and 30 seconds. So God bless all of you who try your best. It always makes me laugh when shit gets cut off like that. I'm like, oh man, I'm so sorry. But we got the gist. Natalie in Arizona, five month mark with your current girlfriend. Oh man, that is a very difficult time in relationships for anyone who struggles with emotion dysregulation, anyone period. But here's my view on like new relationships right in the beginning. That's when, if you're struggling and you're like at the beginning of your recovery journey, you're throwing everything you've got into it. It's still honeymoon phase vibes and you are bending yourself into 25,000 pretzel shapes to be the perfect person that they want to be. A lot of us are very chameleon like, so we we will accommodate. We won't even share our real needs most of the time because we just want to be seen as doing whatever they want to do. 
and it's honeymoon phase. We have idealized them, but then that's not sustainable. And so then when we hit month five, six, that's when we start having these feelings bubble up, right? That's when I start saying that sometimes people start even getting the ick. Like, you know, when you're like, whoa, they start doing stuff, the other person, and you're like, mm, maybe I don't like them like that. The shine wears off a bit. This is when the real work starts, right? Because if you've been abandoning your own needs for six months, they're going to start creeping up. You're going to start hearing those echoes and you're going to have to start having real conversations with these people that you're in intimate relationships with. Because we talked about in the beginning of this episode, many of us force intimacy really quickly, but maybe we just have the conversations that we think we need to have. We apologize for ourselves, right? I have BPD. Like you said, you are trying to like make an apology for who you are to this person because you somehow maybe feel so lucky that they want to be with you that you have to come with a warning label. And that breaks my heart. And what I vibe with so much with what you shared, Natalie, is you said that sometimes your hyper self-awareness can bite you in the ass because you almost feel like every conflict is your fault. Now, I still struggle with this with Zaz, where sometimes I really have to step back and actually go, wait a minute, (laughs) in my mind, Zaz is actually being a little bit emotionally immature right now. I sit there, I think about it. Sometimes we'll have an engagement um, or an exchange rather. It might get a bit spicy. I walk away feeling unheard. But the, the beauty of it is now is I actually can walk away. If, if it starts to get heated, a lot of times we now have the self-awareness to just walk away from each other for a bit. And that walking away part is really important. And I highly recommend Natalie, if you and your girlfriend are still together and you're still struggling with this, I really recommend that you try that. If things get spicy at all, if you start feeling emotionally dysregulated in any exchange at all, just say, Hey, I'm going to take five. And just walk away, love you lots and make a pact together when you're both regulated that you're going to do this too. That's really helpful, but just be like, Hey, I'm going to take five. I just need to take a few calming breaths and like really integrate what's going on before I can give you a response on this. Is that okay? Cool. Cool. Break. Thinking like a football team break and then go and reflect. And the thing is, If you just go and reflect, take deep breaths, you're going to start feeling some of that wisdom from your higher self come through. Okay. And whatever you want to call it, you know, your inner self, your higher self, your intuition, just your gut, or just, you can think clearly (laughs) in the quiet, your wisest part of yourself actually has a chance to talk to you at this point. And sometimes you're going to hear from your wisest self, Hey, you took it too far there maybe you could do better the next time. And it's not your BPD. It's just, okay, maybe you could have, you could have done better. Maybe you were the, the, the problem in that particular exchange. But then sometimes with reflection, you start going, Hey, maybe my partner could have handled that better. And I don't think I was in the wrong here. I think that I did my best in that exchange and I walked away feeling really unheard. Okay. And so then you're going to go back when both of you are regulated and you're never going to say to your partner, it's, you know what? I reflected and this is your, your problem. <laughs> you know what? I went on a walk and I decided that it's all your fault. No, that's not what we're going to do. But you are going to say something like, you know, I reflected and I walked away from that exchange feeling deeply unheard. I think that what I was trying to convey was X, Y, Z, And what I was hoping to get from you was X, Y, Z. And then kind of open the dialogue that way. Or what particularly made me feel unheard is I felt unheard when you X, Y, Z, right? Fill in the blank there. Those are helpful little frames. But let's say that you reflected and you did feel like you took it too far. That way, number one, you've stopped the spiciness before it can get too crazy and you have like a full-fledged shame and guilt spiral because you had a full meltdown. That allows you to take your power back right away. 
And then you can formulate how you want to say it because how many times have you kind of lost it and you wish you could go back and actually think about what it, what you wanted to say and then say it to your partner. Taking a step away before you let things go too far accomplishes all of this. So you go to your partner and you say, look, thank you for letting us take some time away. I had some time to reflect about this and I definitely could have handled myself better in that situation. When XYZ happened, that triggered my feelings of XYZ and da, 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 let the conversation go from there. But if you just take a pause and walk away and reflect and give your inner self some time to share that wisdom with you, I think it'll help you attack these feelings that you're having of being overly self-aware, thinking every conflict is your fault and over-apologizing for things because sometimes it isn't your fault. Sometimes it's no one's fault. More often than not, it's probably both you and your partner triggering each other, projecting onto each other and forgetting that you're a team. It's very, very rarely completely all your fault. And it's even more rarely because of your quote unquote BPD. So I hope this was helpful for you, Natalie, and I'm wishing you all the best in your relationship with your girlfriend. And I'm hoping that you can give yourself some love and compassion and learn to just take a very quick pause and give yourself a break and walk away before conversations and interactions with your partner get spicy from a conflict point of view so that you can really reflect and reapproach the situation and hopefully speak to your partner and have a conversation that is in the interest of both of you understanding each other more, learning, getting better and better with each conflict and interaction. It takes time honing that. So sending you all the best. All right. You know what that jazzy piano music means. That means that it's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much to the listeners who submitted their voicemails today, Bella, Darian, and Natalie. If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, you can send me a voicemail at my website, backfromtheborderline.com. Now, as always, we are going to finish off this week's episode with a preview of my second private podcast, My Stupid Walk for My Stupid Mental Health, which is available only for my premium submarines. The link to sign up is included in the episode description. So let's get our shoes on and take our stupid walk for our stupid mental health. What's up, premium submarines? Welcome back to our 12th stupid walk. I'm out here with Cody. It's cold today, so I've got that thing where your fingers are so cold that they kind of hurt to move. But I have to hold my phone to record these, which I still haven't set up my other microphone. But I just grab my phone and I just head out the door and I just want to talk to y'all. So here we are on my phone again with my cold little fingies hurting but that's the sacrifices I make for my submarines. I'm reading a book right now called The Artist's Way by a woman named Julia Cameron. If you look this book up, which I'll link in the episode description, it's really popular, really famous. It just was released in its 30th anniversary edition. So this book has been around a really long time. Some very famous creative people have credited it as the reason they were able to gain access to their creative sides again. Now, I've always been a creative person, I'm, and by that I mean I've been drawn to art, music, poetry, you know, writing. I love musicals. I, I always see things in an artistic way, but I've very much repressed that side of myself over the years. And I've even taken my creativity and made it a lot more rigid and logical in different ways. 
And I always saw other people who were living their lives as just these beautiful, unrestricted and free artists and somehow convinced myself that that just couldn't be a reality for me. And I grew up in a home where when I expressed my desire to be, you know, a songwriter or some creative thing, I received the messaging of like, oh yeah, well, what's your plan B? Because people that do creative stuff like that don't make a lot of money, right? And which is totally fine. It's a very generational thing, right? Many of our parents, they didn't know anyone who made it successfully as an artist. Our parents' parents and their parents, you got a job. And sometimes if you were lucky enough, you'd get retirement, you take your vacation days, and then that's it, right? So recently, I've really been wanting to contact that part of myself that is this free, wild, unrestricted, creative, where things are flowing out of me. Whenever I'm doing the podcast, you can tell when you're doing something when there's just flow, like pure spiritual creative flow. It's almost like sometimes you ever get talking about something that you're passionate about and someone said, how did you say that? And you're like, I could never redo what I just did. Like I couldn't say it the exact way I just did because it was kind of a one-time thing, right? Because you were in the flow. You were tapped into this creative potential and this, this side of you that's just purely arising from you without you having to think about it, without you having to like think, oh, what should I say? How should I put this? It just comes out. And each and every one of us has our ability to tap into that flow. And I really believe that anyone who's listening to this podcast is a deeply creative person in some way. Why do I say that? Because if you listen to Back from the Borderline, and especially if you're a premium submarine, premium submarines, if you're listening to this right now, you're someone who's listened to enough of my stuff, resonated with it deeply enough to where you decided to take one step closer into the inner circle, right? And decide to literally put your money where your mouth is for more content. So it means that you think about big big concepts. You want to know the deeper meaning in everything. You're deeply sensitive. You feel your feelings so much and you're really passionate about becoming the best possible version of yourself, waking up, cleaning up and growing up in your life. And anyone who is deeply sensitive, thinks deeply about things in life and really loves my stuff. I've just, and even just looking at the kind of people that follow me on Instagram, so many creative, colorful people. And so if you are someone who has felt the way I felt in my life, like almost like maybe you've even been jealous of people. I just got done having a really great conversation with Melanie and many of you already know Melanie was a previous guest on the podcast and she's become a good friend of mine now. And we voice note back and forth together quite a bit. We were talking about jealousy and Melanie was saying how a lot of times when we feel jealousy and she's felt jealousy of, of other people in her life, it's actually been that she was inspired by them. And that really gave me a lot of room for thought. I thought, wow, food for thought, room for thought. Sorry, y'all. I'm three days away from my period. So sometimes I don't know how to do words around this time of my cycle. But in any case... This book is helping me recognize that in myself, how many times have I seen just these freely expressive women, just, and even, it doesn't matter, just people, anyone who I see who is out there, not giving a fuck, being so creative, having their own style, their own voice, and living their truth, and somehow making a way in life where they only take on the kind of creative work that inspires them and they're able to sustain their life that way. I am just so inspired by people like that. And before I started my, you know, my spiritual journey, my growing up emotionally journey these last few years, I would find myself meeting people like this. And especially when I lived in London and LA, I couldn't help it no matter how nice they were. I was just a little resentful of them. I couldn't find myself wanting to open up completely to them because they had something that I wanted so bad. And I don't even think I could admit it to myself. So what would I do? 
I would find ways to kind of bring them down a notch in my own mind, never, never to them, at least consciously. And I didn't like that part of myself either. So it caused this like inner strife. And I'm sure you can relate to this. But man, when Melanie said, when we're jealous, a lot of times that's being inspired by that person. Or they have something that deep down, it's like touching this thing of like, I want that. So it's never about that person. It's just how like they say, you know, criticism says a lot more about the person who's giving the criticism than it actually says about the person they're critiquing. The point of this book is to unblock your creativity because she said that there are so many shadow artists walking around and what a shadow artist is, is essentially a blocked artist. You're blocked, you're repressed. You're not allowing the water, the creative, uh, energy to flow through you. And so therefore what happens? It's a lot of times how we've talked about our symptoms as saviors, a lot of time, depression, all these things. It means you're not living your truth. Maybe you want that creative life. Maybe there's a thing that you do that you wish that you could just do it all the time, but you're like, no, I couldn't do that for a living. Right? So this book is really powerful. But I want to talk about a concept that I just read about in the book last night. Now, she talks about how in our lives we have, and a lot of artists attract and have in their lives, what she calls crazy makers. And I'm going to read a list of all the different things that a crazy maker does. That she says that this is what a crazy maker looks like. This is directly from an article listing off like what a crazy maker is. Crazy makers spend your time and money, break deals and destroy schedules, expect special treatment, and discount your reality. Woof. So she said that these types of people are not the best energy for creative people to be around because it can really trample you down. Now, I was reading it as a creative. So immediately I'm going, oh, who were the crazy makers in my life? And of course there were. But then what really hit me was when she said that oftentimes crazy makers, which by the way, like not a big fan of that title, like crazy, making you crazy. But like, let's talk about it just being like very casual. Like, oh, I'm feeling crazy right now. You're driving me crazy. That's how she says it. She's not really labeling anyone crazy. But What she said is that a lot of true artists and shadow artists are actually become crazy makers because they're so repressed and they want to be doing art. They sometimes will be the crazy makers in other artists' life. And what I thought was, shit, it made me think about how often I had been the crazy maker. And that was tough. Her saying, you know, crazy makers expect special treatment. They discount your reality. How many times have I expected special treatment and kind of twisted narratives because I wanted to feel okay? And what her description of a crazy maker felt like and sounded like for me was a little bit just like what we would call a toxic person, an energy vampire. You've heard all the phrases. And look, we all know someone in our life that fits the, the um, specs of like an, your classic energy vampire. Someone who is very, very draining. You feel like they make the entire, you know, the world and everything around it. It's, it's all about them. They center themselves in every experience. If they're having a bad day, nobody's having a good day. Their moods seem to dictate every situation. And... Just as much as I know people like that in my life, I have been that. She also says, crazy makers create drama, seldom where it ever belongs. I mean, my entire life, I have been where the drama's at. I always have, I had, not anymore, especially like in my adolescence. We've talked about this before, but my God, I never had a time where I wasn't in some kind of fucking feud with some girls at school or, or there was just a huge drama in my life. There was a huge problem that unless X didn't change or so-and-so didn't like me or something didn't happen, then I wasn't going to be okay. And every fucking person 
in my life would hear and know about it. It was the center of my world. And as much as I would like to have told you in my teens and 20s that I was an empathetic person, like kind and compassionate, sure, if there was a a dying bird on the street, I would be the person to get a box, take the bird and drive it. Like I was a big hearted person. But if y'all can relate to me, there's a big difference between having a big kind heart and being so lost in delusion with your emotional reality and really in that delusional state where you are the center of the world, where all your problems become everyone's problems and it is drama after drama after drama. And that that peace actually feels boring in comparison. That's when you know, y'all know, I don't believe in calling your personality disordered, but that is when your life is in is in disarray, is in disorder, is in dysfunction. I don't think we... Later in the Stupid Walk episode, we also take a few more voicemails from my premium subscribers. Premium subscribers get their voicemails and emails prioritized. Hey Molly, premium sub, Gia here. Um, I was interested in you talking about codependent and like toxic friendships because I feel like that's kind of been a common theme in my life Um, and I feel like other people would probably relate. Thanks Gia for this voicemail. You would be right that I'm sure a lot of people can relate and I myself can relate to the idea of toxic and codependent friendships. It's interesting because in the main feed episode today we talked a little bit about you know, who deserves to be in our circle of trust. And adolescence and our 20s is a really common time for us to overshare and let people into our lives that probably didn't earn their spot there. And whenever I say earn, it doesn't mean that I think we should be making people jump through hoops or testing them to be our friends. That's not very balanced. But it's more so just taking the time to really observe someone and keep things at a surface enough level for a long enough time to see if they are someone that has the self-awareness, the compassion, the levels of empathy, the strength of character to be someone who deserves your time like that and deserves to be in your inner circle. And when we do that, toxic codependent friendships aren't really possible. They can't survive in that environment. And another thing that I had to really look hard at was, am I being a toxic codependent friend? You know, it often so happens, especially with, I mean, well, actually I can't comment. I'm a girl, so that's my experience. My I'm a woman. But growing up, you know, it's very common for women to become super, super close, do every single thing together. And then something happens and then the friendship blows up and you've just never talked to them again. And it reminds me of that song, Somebody That I Used to Know by Gautier and Kimbra, which I think I've brought up on the podcast before, but it's really profound, especially for those of us with big emotions, because I know there's just a trail of people in my life who I was really, really close with. And then now I just don't talk to them at all anymore. And it's really wild. And most of that is down to the fact that I think that we didn't develop our friendship or intimacy around any truly shared character traits or goals or values. It was mainly because we were in school together and had a lot of classes together or we worked with together. And so it's these friendships that often ended up being toxic for me because we were kind of forced to spend a lot of time together in a certain environment. But then I found that our All right, everyone, that is today's preview of my stupid walk for my stupid mental health. On the rest of the episode, I also take another voicemail from Darren, who's talking about ghosting, specifically in friendships. So I answer his question about that. And I also take another email from a listener who is experiencing some serious autoimmune stuff and we just discuss about the connection between our physical symptoms and our mental symptoms and a little bit about breast implant illness 
and lots of that fun stuff. So if you want to check out the rest of this episode, it is Stupid Walk for my Stupid Mental Health number 12. And for my premium submarines on Patreon, how it works is what I do is I'll upload the full episode. So instead of receiving this episode you're hearing now where it fades out, my premium submarines are able to just listen to the full episode with no breaks. So if that sounds interesting to you, you can click the link in the episode description or sign up by my website at backfromtheborderline.com. Premium submarines also get my monthly newsletter, which is delivered at the end of the month and contains tons of great recovery resources and just the joy of knowing that you're supporting some pretty badass work by yours truly. So I hope to see you join the circle of the premium submarines but if not you can support the podcast by rating the podcast reviewing my work following us on instagram at back from the borderline and sharing an episode with a friend who you think might benefit from deeper self-reflection so that's it for today remember that anyone even you can come back from the borderline see you next tuesday Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.